Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, everybody, and welcome to High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from Percy'sGrowroom.com. In this week's interview, we speak to Robbie from Nerd Genetics, and we mainly speak about the hop latent viroid, which is going around all different grow rooms in the big grow operations, in some small grow operations as well. And it is doing bad stuff to plants. It's got a lot of growers concerned, and we have an interview here to see if it is something to be concerned about or not. Robbie knows his shit about this subject. We had a great conversation with him and there's loads of good information in here about hop latent viroid and about the future of cannabis legislation as well, like the branding of Marlboro and just loads of stuff. You know what we're like. We have a good conversation here with Robbie. So roll yourself a fat one, get super high, learn some things about hop latent viroid and enjoy this episode. I'll speak to you at the end. I'll see you in a bit. Yeah, so Robbie, do you want to introduce yourself so the listeners know who we're talking to today? Hey, so my name is Robbie Waldeck. I run Nerds Genetics. Yes. So, right, that's a brief intro. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So, um, I've seen you on Brian and Marco's show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, they got a great show. A lot of our listeners, I'm sure, also listen to the Brian and Marco show. And you were discussing. Uh, hop latent viroid and it was a real interesting conversation man well thank you yeah so that's something that has uh really sort of taken our industry by storm because uh, a lot of people just really didn't know what it was and then all of a sudden we had plants dying off and it's like one of the weirdest things that you've ever seen in your grow room like sometimes you'll see half of your plant just die off and then the rest of the plant is totally okay um, sometimes the plant will be normal one day and then dead the next day. Um, it causes all sorts of problems with clones. It can cause problems where uh, the plant no longer looks, smells, or tastes the way that the genetic potential should be. Um, and you can look at it where you'll have two of the same plant next to each other, where one is, you know, the the stupid fire, um, and then the other one um, is really just I and uh, they're the same plant, you know, given the exact same condition, the same everything, except one is showing uh, signs of HPLVD. So, mm. you know, it's something that like, uh, a lot of people really had no idea what was attacking their garden. Um, and, you know, as we were opening up cannabis in the United States, we were sharing clones like crazy. Um, and so all of a sudden everybody had it, and nobody knew how to deal with it. So it's, it's been, it's been a real, a real wild thing um, in our industry. It's caused us to do a lot of things very differently. Mm. So how long has this stuff been around? It's reasonably new, the, the HLV, right? Um, so the discovery of it um, happened, I want to say in 2015-ish wow. somewhere. Um, but you know, it didn't really become something that was real widely known. Mm -hmm. uh, I uh, was partnered with uh, um, Dark Heart Nursery out of California um, in uh, 2015 when they uh, 
they found this uh, hoplite thyroid. Uh, they called it the dudding disease at the time. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, they uh, we we had been providing them clones to sell out in California. Um, and, uh, all of a sudden they were saying that they were having all these people coming back where like their, their plants just weren't doing as good as they used to or whatever, whatever there were, there were all these problems. Um, and so they had, uh, a, you know, a multi, multi-million dollar, uh, uh, clone business going on. And so they had a whole lab dedicated to trying to figure this out. Um, and they, they came to the conclusion that it was this HPLVD stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, since then it has become more of a common practice, um, to test for it just because testing has become available. Mm. Um, and most of the places that will test for potency now will also test for HPLVD or, um, you know, a, a handful of other viroids. Um, and so, you know, the availability of the testing has really opened a lot of people's eyes to the fact that it's a big problem. Yeah. How common is it then? You know, you, all these people getting tests. How often do tests come back positive? Depends on your grow. Um, yeah. And the problem with uh, problem with HPLVD is that uh, you can have a sample that comes back clean because you have good growing practices and the plant is healthy and the viral load is very very low and so therefore non detectable on the test. But as soon as you get into a situation where your practices aren't very good, it will crop its head back up. Mm. Um, so it's it's even more challenging to know whether or not you have it. You know, a lot of times you'll just see something that doesn't look right. And most of the time it, you, you've somehow gotten it into your grow, especially if you, you know, have been taking in clones or, or uh um, you don't have necessarily the cleanest gardening practices, or if you do stuff where where things are not kept separate, like um, if you put one plant that has HPLVD in uh, an arrow cloner, for example, um, everything in that arrow cloner is likely to have HPLVD by the end of the cloning process. Mm -hmm. um, the way it's transferred, uh, you know, it, it's transferred through living tissue that has been um, uh, like where there's an opening essentially. And so, you know, all these cuts have, have brand new, uh, brand new open cells. Um, and so it gets in the water and transfers through the water. And then all of a sudden, like you'll have whole, uh, rounds of clones dying and it's, uh, it's a, it's a really weird thing. Uh, but to answer your question, I would say most commercial grows have it in some capacity or another. Right. So yeah, is it like a, a herpes virus for plants? Because you know, like cold sores, some people carry the cold sore virus, and they only get cold sores triggered when their immune systems get low. Is the same kind of principle with the plants? Like they might have the the hoplitant viroid, but it mm -hmm. doesn't express itself until the immune system gets low because the plant's not being treated well or something. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. And, uh, right. you know, what I always tell people is, you know, it's the first like real serious sign in your garden that your practices aren't very good. Mm. Um, you know, like they, it really doesn't show up when the plant's totally healthy, when the immune system is, uh, you know, uh, strong and able to fight off any kind of viroid or virus. And so um, when you're not doing those things well, when you're, uh, your conditions are less than ideal, when your food source is uh, not exactly a, a full, um, you know, 
bouquet of what they need. Um, and you know, you don't have any antivirals going into the system or, or anything like that, then, you know, HPLVD can wreak absolute havoc on your garden. Um, and you know, the only times that, that we've really ever seen it in our gardens is when we've been super busy and, uh, we've been doing something else or we've been building something or, you know, uh, the the traditional amount of care has not gone in or we were trying a new nutrient or something was outside of our normal gardening practices then occasionally we'll we'll see it show up um and wow. it never tends to show up in the same things you know like we'll we'll think everything is is totally clean and then uh all of a sudden something that looked totally clean will show us that our garden practices are are not um, really up to snuff the way that they they were in the the previous rounds right so you've actually seen it uh, firsthand then you in real life not just on the internet you've seen you've seen the viral for yourself oh absolutely not in a few years now um okay. or at least not in uh you know any kind of serious things in my garden um i have seen it in lots of gardens um and i have seen it in my garden lots of times um, but you know, that once we changed our gardening practices and, and we went back to organics and we started, you know, feeding things that were, uh, increasing the, uh, the viral tolerance, um, and the, the immune boost and, and whatnot, um, then suddenly like the plants went back to healthy. They were producing the way that they normally did. They were, you know, uh, producing the bigger leaves because a lot of times the, the two, first things that you'll see when you get HPLVD is your stems will snap um, really fast and uh, like the plant will just be very brittle. It can't handle like the weight of a bud or it being shaken around at all. Um, you know, like a healthy plant is pretty supple. Um, mm-hmm. uh, an HPLVD plant is not supple at all. It's incredibly brittle. Um, the other thing that you will see is that it just doesn't produce the same you know, size and type of leaves or stems. Um, everything seems to be smaller, more constricted. Um, it's clear they're not getting the same type of nutrition uptake um, as the things next to it. Um, it just sort of looks unhealthy and weak. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, the, I mean, the first time I saw it, uh, half of my plant died and I had no idea why. Like it was healthy one day and then the next day I came in and half the plant was dead. And I was just like, well what just happened <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know i've come back and, and seen like you know a cookies plant that was happy that was just dead the next day or wow. uh, so it, it takes hold fast huh? it can yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't always um but it, it can and it can be absolutely devastating in a matter of hours and wow. if the plant is halfway healthy then it can fight it off the whole time and you'll just get a weaker plant so like it, it doesn't necessarily mean it will kill the plant, but um, you know you're never going to get the the full potential of your genetic when you have it. Right. Okay. Well, you have mentioned several times about maybe having one plant that's got HLV and one next to it that's just doing fine. Is it possible that you for this to happen? I mean, when I first heard about this, I envisioned this thing as being super aggressive, super contagious. That if you have it in your tent, everything in your tent's got it. Is that true? No, not at all. Um, and uh, it's it's very likely that you can spread it to the things near it. 
if you are going in there and pruning and they're touching each other, but like um, it, in order to transfer it, it needs to be transferred from uh, one open wound to another open wound. So um, if you have two things in your tent that you've just taken a bunch of prunings off of and they're rubbing up against each other and one has HVLD, L LVD and the other doesn't, then both of them likely will after that. Um, if there's, you know, space between your plants and, you know, you're not pruning them or you're pruning them and cleaning off your tools in between uh, uh, each prune and whatnot, um, then you're not likely to spread it actually. Um, and you know, it's a virus or a viroid, not a virus. So, okay. uh, it only affects, uh, certain cells of the plant. It doesn't necessarily affect the whole plant. So one part of the plant can have it and another part of the plant can be healthy. Um, so it's, it's, it's really weird. Right. And you, you say, um, HLVD, is that disease? Is that the, what the D stands for on the end there? uh yeah i believe so hop latent viroid disease right uh, uh and i mean i've heard it called a bunch of different things uh hlv hplv hplvd um it's all the same thing right we're right. we're all talking about the same thing it's just a you know how people have decided to shorten it mm -hmm. <laughs> now some of the yeah. news recently came out and i know this put a, a wave across percy's Someone had uh, dropped an article over there saying that they've discovered that this can actually be transferred in seed. Is that true? Uh, maybe. The, the thing is that, like, I wish we knew more about this, and I wish that we had uh, the kind of government backing or the kind of uh, university backing that we need in order to, like, really push um, the horticulture part of this forward, mm -hmm. uh, you know, part of the problem in our industry is that uh, we're still working off of bro science for most of the time. I mean, like uh, commercial cultivation has come a long way in the last 10 years. Um, but every time I go to a new state, somebody is still trying to take what they did in a tent and turn it into a hundred light grow. Um, and it's just, it just doesn't work like that. There, so there's like, there's a whole lot of things that we're learning as we go forward. Um, and, you know, every other horticultural industry has all sorts of, uh, you know, grants and funding and backing to do all sorts of uh, uh, breeding work and uh, uh, tests on, you know, the ability of, of plants against cold and different bugs and viruses and all of these different things. And as much money comes in and out of cannabis, there is not that work being done, mostly because it's still federally illegal. Um, so, you know, until we can get to a point where we're really able to do a lot more of that work, um, we're still going to be relying on like the handful of people who are able to get minimal funding to take care of one of these these questions. And so, you know, until we get there, like we're just not going to really know that much about it. Um, can it be transferred by seed? I mean, yeah, potentially it could. Like, uh, you know, if you if you had a seed that somehow had that attached to it, maybe it could attach to the the taproot uh, or something. But it's it's highly unlikely, I think. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like there, there's a lot of enzymes and a lot of things that are going on when a seed pops out of out of its shell um, that are there to protect that little seedling. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a lot of things that happen in the process between when you, you pop a seed and you put it into the ground. Um, you know, I think in general, um, the, the way this industry goes forward and the way, you know, for home growers just in general is pop seeds every time, you know, okay, like yeah. every, every crop pop new seeds, you get something a little bit different. Sure. It's going to be, you know, a little different than what, uh, what you had and loved uh before but if you're not growing it uh you know for commercial cultivation then you know seeds are 100 percent the way now you're always going to have the healthiest strongest crop with seeds um if you are growing for commercial cultivation when we can really get to the point where breeders are um <laughs> in a place where they can do the work that they need to do um then seeds will be the way as well. I mean, you know, the, you don't look at corn crops and say, oh, they've just taken 12 million clones and gone and put them out there. No, they mm -hmm. take a whole bunch of seeds and they drill it into the ground and they let the corn come up. And like, that's what we will do with weed when it becomes a commercial commodity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you, there's not been any research done on the hoplited viroid attacking cannabis plants, but the, the, um, the beer companies, you know, the, the guys who make beers, the brewers, that they use hops as well. Do you see that there's any potential of the same viral that is affecting cannabis affecting actual hops plants as well? And if so, do you think that the uh, breweries will be getting researched on to try and prevent the disease from spreading any further? Well, so it came from hops. Um, right. So, you know, it, it came from hops first. I imagine that they, they do have have some work on it but um you know the process of growing hops is so wildly different than uh the process of growing cannabis um it, you know like the if it needs to be transferred through i mean so hops you plant a rhizome uh, which is a part of a root system and then from there um it expands underground and continues to grow this vine that grows up whatever it's going to do um, and there's not a lot of like cloning or taking snips or pruning or anything that happens with that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a wildly different thing in practice. Um, the answer is, I don't know. Uh, they, like, the short answer to that question is that I don't know, but I, I don't think that it, they share the same problems. Right. Interesting, man. Interesting. It's just, uh, it, it's scary. Do you, do you see that it's still spreading? Is it getting worse, or is the problem seem seeming to be getting a little bit better now? Which, which no, direction it's is worse. it heading? It's getting worse. It's getting worse, absolutely, because it, our practices as an industry are still crappy. Right. Um, you know, like we, there are very, very few commercial cultivations that have sops or have mm -hmm. uh any kind of cleanliness process or you know i mean th there are plenty of them that are doing a good job and if you are doing a good job out there i'm not talking about you um but there's plenty of people who are not and you probably know it if you're not um you know there or you may not and that's the problem but 
you know, as all this becomes, uh, you know, spread further and further around the country and around the world and people are able to um, cultivate cannabis both in their home and on a uh, commercial level, we're seeing the, the virus be spread because, again, it thrives on bad growing conditions. Um, so, you know, the fact is that we've had prohibition in this country for, you know, almost 100 years um, and around the world for, you know, a lot of years as well. So uh, there there hasn't been a whole lot of um, there hasn't been a lot of people teaching other people about how to do this in a way that, that makes sense because there haven't been a lot of people doing it in a way that makes mm -hmm. sense. You know, like until you can have a thousand light grow, you don't know what a thousand light grow is going to take. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll tell you, it's a lot different than running a 10 light grow, which is a lot different than running a, a one light grow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, as you scale, it just gets way harder. Um, and when you look at some of the other uh, horticultural industries, you know, like if you look at flowers and the places that um, do survive off of clones, uh there are all sorts of um, SOPs that have to go through in order to make sure that these viruses aren't being spread. They're using tons of chemicals to make sure that all this is happening. Um, and like a lot of the things either don't exist or aren't allowed in cannabis. And so we're going to have this problem until the industry matures and gets to a point where, you know, it's no longer necessary to be buying plant starts from the nursery. You know, like when we get to a point where you can buy a giant bag of seeds and put it in your indoor grow and know that, you know, a hundred out of a hundred are going to be able to be put in the same bag, mm -hmm. um, then that's, that's a different story than what we're, we're currently facing. Right. So do you think, I mean, it is possible that some viruses uh, can jump from like animals to human in a wet market, for example, just for example, YouTube. And uh, there's also, uh, it, they can also be created in a laboratory and escape into the general population. Do you think that the hop latent thyroid could have been created by the government and released onto cannabis plants? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, that, I've heard crazier things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, for sure. Uh, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised at what they would do ever. You know, like mm -hmm. as reason that we got uh um russet mites and broad mites is because yeah. the California entomology program thought that it would be really cool to to put these bugs out that ate all the weeds. But they didn't consider the fact that that would also uh transfer into every single commercial everything in the area mm -hmm. and that would require more pesticides and all sorts of other stuff mm -hmm. so yeah i mean people were walking out in the next to the side of the road and picking these things up and bringing them in a row and i mean russet mites are absolutely devastating they're mm -hmm. in a lot of ways worse than uh hplvd mm -hmm. um and so it, you know could could somebody have done this on purpose yeah is it more likely that us as an industry just had bad practices? Also, yeah. Right. It's crazy, man, how much this can actually impact, especially them big grows. You know, these guys who have spent a fortune on uh, setting up their own commercial grows, you know, and it can just all mm -hmm. go tits up so quickly. Because you say this can have an effect like overnight as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've seen commercial grows where um, half their room died 
when wow. they were gone for the night and they came in the next day and the whole thing was done. You That's know, like the, the commercial growing game is, is it's not for the faint of heart. You mm -hmm. know, like it, you better be ready to uh, have some serious heartbreak if, if you're going to come into this because it's a, uh, it's hard on so many levels and yeah. uh, you know, total crop failure is a real thing. Um, so, you know, like you hope that that's never, ever going to happen, but you know, if you don't, if you don't do the things that, that you need to do to prevent it from happening, then uh, the chances are very real. Scary. I mean, you yeah. are a commercial cultivator as well, right? We uh, the nerds genetics, you make seeds and stuff. Yeah, so, um, you know, I've had a bunch of different com uh, commercial cultivations uh, all over the country for different things. Uh, our biggest one was 70,000 square feet of uh, greenhouse. Um, my current space now is is only a couple thousand square feet. Um, and it's more of like a R&D type space where we, mm -hmm. we do breeding work um, and test plants and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've had, I've had, indoor outdoor uh, a greenhouse of, of all sizes and uh it is a it's it's a big ask you know mm -hmm. like you, you have to make sure that, that your practices are really good i mean especially in like our seventy thousand square foot facility we had to take five thousand clones for that um wow. every two months and so uh, when you're looking at clones that are, you're looking at that many clones and yeah. thinking about having to sterilize your material between every cut, that's Damn. a, uh, that's a lot of extra work. And, and 5,000 uh, clones, you, you're a lot likely to, a lot more likely to bring an infected clone in when you're dealing with that amount as well, aren't you? Yeah. You have to make sure that you're cutting off of the healthiest plants off the healthiest part of the plant um, that your practices in your mom room are really good or that your practices in your bedroom are really good if that's where you're taking your clones from. Um, you know, the, if you're going to run a commercial cultivation from clone, your moms have to be the most important part of your grow. It starts right there. And uh, if you don't have a healthy mom that you start your clone from, then the rest of your grow is screwed before you even start. So that, yeah. that needs to be the most important thing that you focus on. And then you can kind of work your way backwards. Actually, flowering is the easiest part if you've done everything else right. So what would you say for like a home grower? Because a lot of our audience is focused at people who grow cannabis at home. What can they do to prevent the HLV getting into their grow rooms? Buy seeds. Just the chances yeah, you of you getting HLV from seeds and then having it transfer to another round in your room are almost impossible. Mm. Okay. Yeah, like uh, especially if you're doing new seeds every crop. Um, like if you're trying to keep clones and doing all of that, that's that's where HPLVD really comes in. Um, mm -hmm. For a home grower, like I honestly don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to grow seeds every time i mean the the reality is there's so much cool stuff out there now yeah. there's so many breeders doing so many different neat things working on so many different kinds of cannabis kinds of highs kinds of flavors kinds of experience kinds of everything and uh, you know like finding something that you really like uh is going to require a lot of exper of experimentation um, and also becoming a better grower is going to require a lot of uh, experimentation. So, 
um, being having the opportunity to see a whole bunch of different plants and uh, see the characteristics that come from them and growth patterns and things like that will really tune in uh, what it takes to be a good grower in the first place. Mm. Um, plus, then you get to to have a, a cleaner grow that's more productive every run. Um, it is more expensive, I guess, because um, you you have to put input of seeds. But I mean, realistically, these days seeds are are way less expensive than they used to be, and mm-hmm. it's a totally reasonable cost for for your grow. I mean, if you're if you're running six plants at a time. You know, you can spend anywhere from 10 to 100 bucks on a pack of seeds every grow in order to get a pound. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, to me, that's totally worth it. Well, yeah. Let's see. Monkey here makes uh, his own seeds nowadays. He's got shitloads well, of them. Just learning how to do that. Just started experimenting with it. So I haven't haven't uh, played around with too much yet. But you we're know, all you know, learning, Monkey. Exactly. You got you to gotta <laughs> learn the basics first. So... Figured out how to how to reverse them and how to feminize them. So now we'll go ahead and, and maybe fine tune that a little bit. That's well, there's a lot to that. You know, the more you do it, the more you'll find out that there's there's a lot of little tips and tricks that you can do that will make your reverses better. Mm-hmm. And then it really all starts with regular breeding. Like if you don't do the regular breeding first, then your fem seeds suck. So you you really gotta do you gotta do both parts. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I will tell you that, I, you know, we started this in 2010 and uh, I learned something new about it in literally every crop. Yeah, that's, so that's just that's just part of it. That's what keeps it interesting in the whole the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So you uh, you breed cannabis over at Nerd Genetics, obviously, assuming by the name. Yep. anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The seed, making seeds is, is our main business. Awesome. Um, and so. Now we we do a lot of work. Uh, well, we've done a lot of work in preserving seeds and uh, working with old school stuff. But our main mission has always been uh, breeding for hash, um, especially once we got into uh, larger production scale. Um, when we started doing the scale where we were seeing f- fields of plants go up. Um, and then they were all going to hash. It, it really can make a huge difference when you get 1% more out of your hash yield than you do over mm. the course of, you know, 2000 pounds. That makes up a tremendous difference in your, uh, your, your final product for the farmer. Um, so we've spent a lot of, uh, time and energy working on, uh, making plants that, that produce better for both, uh, solventless and, uh, uh, solvent based hashes. Um, and then. You know, we also have a, a commercial grow and, you know, make hash and do all sorts of stuff um, really to learn more about making the seeds better. That's that's really the the main goal. Mm. So, so you grow uh, a shitload of plants commercially to make the hash and you also produce seeds to make those plants as well. Is that how it works for you? Yeah. So, I mean, we we have different parts of the process. Um, where we will grow out sections of the plants um, in order to see what's good. And then we'll do a further commercial run to see what compares with the other stuff that's out on the market that is is known to be really good. Like we'll, we'll say the Blue Dreams or Gorilla Blues of the world. Um, and then the third part is finding out how it hashes. So, you know, like if if it hits 
you know, above 4% return on fresh frozen uh, for rosin, then we know we have something that, that we're interested in working with as, as hash genetic. Um, same with uh, the BHM. Like if it, it hits 4% or more or it comes back um, where it produces a, like, you know, an abnormal amount of diamonds or a abnormal amount of sauce, then those are all interesting things for us. Um, but it has to be something that we can produce in our commercial cultivation first. So if we can't grow it and get a similar yield to the other things that are in the, the commercial grow, um, you know, a similar quality, similar, uh, something that is going to be an appealing turf profile, something that we can sell pounds of, then, um, it doesn't, doesn't matter if it's good for hash either, you know, it has, it has to do it all. Mm -hmm. Um, because ultimately like there's, there's a lot of facets to, uh, commercial cultivation. Um, and the most popular one, at least right now is, is still flour. Well, yeah. Yeah. So how do you go about making your hash? What method do you use? Do you, the water, water ice, some dry sifting, dry ice? What, uh, how do you make your hash? I have made hash in so many different ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> my, uh, my, my preferred method now um, is to do uh, water hash. So uh, I like to do a water sieve uh, that is cold water extraction. So um, basically, you know, old school bubble hash. Um, and uh, you can either use a, um, a washing machine or a paddle. Both of them work really good. Depends on how much uh, work you're going through. Um, dry material and fresh frozen are both both awesome to work with, but you get wildly different products out of them. Mm -hmm. um, fresh frozen, I tend to like to send to rosin. Um, and then dry material, I tend to like to make temple balls with. Mm -hmm. Nice. That's fucking awesome, man. So uh, you have a pretty big grow space as well, so you must produce quite a bit of hash. Not as much as you would think, just because it's so time-consuming. Um, you know, it, it's really uh, about the R&D for me. Um, you know, like a lot of people that, that are are just doing hash, like they have somebody that, that is just doing hash, and that's their thing. They make tons of hash all day long. They just like shaking buckets. Um, you know, for me, I'm interested in how the trichome um, can be harvested. And so, uh, you know, that's that's part of what I'm looking at when I'm breeding new new plants. And so when we get something where the, the trichome head separates really, really easily, um, then that's like a an, an, an instant you know, winner, basically. That's something that we, we definitely want to work with more going forward into the, the ice water hash production side. Um, so a lot of it, a lot of the hash that we make is, is pretty small batch stuff where I'm just like really trying to learn how to, um, how the plant reacts to the water. Mm -hmm. I'm assume you, uh, you, you use this hash yourself, you taste it and make sure that it's some good shit. I, I mean, that's, that's really the only, the only way. <laughs> yeah, for they sure. You can trust a, a skinny chef, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure, man. Exactly. I've heard that saying before. God damn. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it must uh, be nice. We, we got a lot of uh, listeners of the show who now make their own hash and people are, they seem to enjoy doing it, man. They seem, well, hash is just lovely, isn't it? But when you got a strain that's specifically grown and made for hash, 
that must be some next level shit, man. Uh, it's it's a wildly different experience. You mm. know, like uh, when I lived in Holland, um, there was tons of hash available, um, but most of it really wasn't that good. Mm. There was some, like you, you would occasionally find some that was that was really phenomenal, mm -hmm. um, but it, it it was rare. And so uh, I didn't really get the appeal of it until I really started making my own. Um, and then at that point, I was like, oh, well, okay, I can get behind <laughs> <laughs> um, And, you know, for me, like, if I was going to, like, only pick one way to smoke for the rest of my life, I'd still just smoke joints of just regular flour. Mm -hmm. uh, but... I do, I do really like the hash experience. It's, it's different than the, the high of a, a flower experience. Um, the taste is different. Um, everything about it is, I want to say just a little bit cleaner and smoother. Um, mm. There seem to be some other things that come when you combust the flower material um, that, that also have its own little set of effects. And Sometimes I like those more and sometimes I like the hash better, but they are, they are different. Mm -mm. Yeah, they are different. I'd have to agree because uh, I would say burning a joint versus uh, hitting a vaporizer yeah, definitely affects me differently. Different high, Absolutely. different feeling out of it. Yeah. Absolutely. So your yeah. comment on hash is, is right on, on the point. Yes. She's so delicious though. Mm -mm -mm. Oh yeah. That is. And it's, uh, I mean, when you do it right, it, like it, you don't get, you don't get another experience like that. Plus, mm -hmm. it is sort of the the world currency for uh, cannabis. I mean, yeah. uh, yeah, take some of these hash coins, you know? Exactly, <laughs> hash coins. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, also, like, yeah, I mean, think about it. Like when you go back, people weren't traveling down the Silk Road with pounds of weed. They were traveling mm. with jars of hash and that's what they were trading in. And that's how hash made it around the world in the first place was mm. that, um, you know, people were able to travel it because it was, it was portable. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's what I see really as the, the future of cannabis. Um, I see like maybe three products that we will we will get down to i think we'll probably have some sort of uh you know edible gummy type situation um some sort of pre-roll and some sort of you know ready to use vape cartridge mm -hmm. um because when you when you look at tobacco and you look at the supplement market and you look at all the other things that are around um those are the the predominant things that's what everybody's used to and so i think that when we get to a point where you know 7-Eleven can take weed in, then like, you know, buying mm -hmm. packs of joints is going to be a thing. It's, it's yeah. going to be a thing that we do. Yes, yeah. man. Just buy 20 bucks. Nice and easy. 100 bucks, though, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I haven't smoked cigarettes in years, but when I did, it was awesome to be able to go somewhere and buy a pack and then just pull one out and smoke it and not have to sit there and roll the whole thing. And like, I mean, I do like mm -hmm. the... Uh, the adventure of weed and like the, the part of the, the whole ritual of, of, yeah. you know, rolling the joint and doing all the things. But like, if we're, we're being realistic about what I would choose on a day-to-day -day basis, I mean, I'd pick the pre-roll probably every time um, if it was okay. good. enough. Yeah. That's it. If it's good enough, not ran full of leaf. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that, that's what we get now, you know, like the, mm -hmm. the pre-rolls are still the most popular item in most dispensaries. Really? Uh, I thought it, I thought it was the vape cartridges. 
now it's not anymore. Oh, okay. um, and it's big in some markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, after we had that, um, that uh, vape scare, the great oh, vape yeah. scare. 20, the, the wet oh, lung yeah. thing, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The, uh, uh, which, you know, if, if we're talking about things that the government probably set up, that one was probably a problem. Uh, but uh, the, after we had that, the vape market like drastically dropped off. Um, and, you know, from, from what I've seen and from what I've talked to a bunch of dispensary owners, you know, the vast majority of people are coming in and buying one or two pre-rolls, 10 pre-rolls, five pre-rolls, whatever, because um, they're cheap and they're available and they don't have to do anything. And, uh, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to own a pipe or a bong or any of that stuff, and which I enjoy owning, but mm-hmm. that's beside the point. Um, that's in shame though, because usually pre-rolls are, you know, as far as quality goes, some of the lower quality you'll find in a lot of these dispensaries trim and, and just, just basically trash that's thrown in. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're frequently trim. They're frequently, uh, frequently just very low quality because, you know, you can't see it, but, uh, you know, certainly in Oklahoma, the, the question is, is how high for how cheap. Um, and that's, uh, that's where we, we kind of get into this, this thing, you know, like as home growers or as weed people, we, we get into this idea that, you know, everybody loves weed as much as we do, um, which is just honestly not the case. Um, you know, there's plenty of people out there who just want the bud light of weed um and they they want to take a couple hits of it and you know get that bud light high there's plenty of people out there that are just looking for that cheap buzz Mm -hmm. um and when you apply that to cannabis like there's yeah you can produce weed outside in the field for like about a dollar a pound so um there's going to be a point where you know like weed is is the price of cigarettes um and uh, you'll you won't get a good product but cigarettes aren't necessarily a good product either yeah so you know plenty of people smoke those yeah you know imagine 50 years down the road when you've got marlboro ganja you know it's, it's just all oh, pre rolls like that they've had all of their design work ready for years they they, mm-hmm. they are ready to roll that out the second that uh the government says it's okay but you know until the government says it's okay it's too much of a pain in the ass for them yeah. Like there, there's too much potential loss from new regulations and all these other things. Like when they roll out something, they want to roll out like a hundred thousand units or mm-hmm. just, you know, maybe like 200,000 units or a million units as a test run, um, which is, you know, a scale that like the, the average home grower or commercial grower couldn't even begin to imagine. Yeah. So, uh, do you, yeah. Do you think it's a long way until the USA federally legalize? There's a lot of reason not to legalize. Um, oh, really? okay. and, uh, it's not in the interest of the people or right. the, the, the masses of the people. Um, it okay. is absolutely in the interest of a, a handful of people who uh, know very much what they are doing and are spending an awful lot of money to make this industry nearly impossible to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, here's the thing. 
we all jumped in, um, you know, saying, oh, awesome. Suddenly I can do this thing that like, you know, I haven't been able to do for a long time. There's all this opportunity here, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it is a really cool thing to do too. It's a lot of fun. It's a really hands-on plant that like the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. Um, but what happens when you're, you're in, uh, an emerging industry like this or an emerging market is that, uh, inefficient practices are acceptable for a short period of time and then heavily penalized. Um, and so a lot of people have gotten in, um, for way less money than they probably needed to, in order to survive the, the ups and downs of the market. Um, and so what happens is like they, they got in with an inefficient system and now in order to, uh, deal with all of the regulation and all of the changes that come with the regulation, um, they're forced to make their system more efficient. Um, but that efficiency costs a lot of money and it puts most, most small grows out of business. Um, and so what you'll see in pretty much every emerging market, every new state that comes in is there's this flood of people coming in to grow weed. And then three years later, 90% of them are gone. Um, and, you know, that as a practice for people like Marlboro, um, is, is really good for them because they can just sit back and make money on cigarettes for all these years. Um, while we fight out the, the ins and outs of the industry and the regulation and all of this stuff. And by the time they're ready to jump in, there will already be an established marketplace that we created. There will already be a consumer culture that we created. Um, and all they'll have to do is be much bigger than us in order to, to stomp us out of existence. Yeah. And they will, uh, they and, are, they will be much bigger. It's going to be crazy. Well, it's, it's just, it's a reality of the future. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like the, um, it seems silly to me that, um, you know, we're anybody who thinks that they're going to be able to get into this game, um with a goal of being a a small small producer long term i i think may need to re reevaluate those goals because you know there's going to be craft to an extent but like the reality is how many people you know smoke craft tobacco like that's a thing mm -hmm. you know but like have you ever seen anybody smoke craft tobacco yeah. Um, I've seen maybe three people in my entire life do it. Now, I and again, I've only ever heard of it once. Yeah, you know, like yeah, there are people that do it for sure. You know, and maybe a cigar smoker is is somewhere that is maybe closer to that because um, cigars can be wildly expensive. Um, but uh, you know, like we're we're looking at a situation where like the the vast majority of the market share is going to be these cheap pre rolls. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the only way that like we get to continue our, our cannabis culture of the, the love of cannabis and the love of different kinds of terpenes and the love of really good weed is for us to educate other people and to educate our friends about why really good weed is a valuable thing for both our body and our soul and our mind and all these other things. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, what I'm seeing in the, the culture is that we're, we're spending a lot of time fighting each other about who has the best product instead of lifting each other up about who's doing a good job. 
you know, there's plenty of people out there doing a really good job for the cannabis industry that are, you know, making excellent product and, you know, growing in sustainable ways and uh, educating people about uh, the, the benefits of, of real high quality cannabis um, and the, the things, the dangers of low quality cannabis. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunately just like a, a lot fewer and farther between than I, I would like it to be uh, because, you know, we're, we're all we've got, you know, like we if we don't band together as, as a community and a culture, um, then you win 7-Eleven's ready. Um, they're going to be able to knock us off one piece at a time off the chessboard. Yeah. Um, I think you're right as well. About, about most of that there. Scary to think about, man. But that because it, let's say like wine, for example, it's like you get people who really appreciate wine for the the flavor and the texture of the wine, and they have the wine clubs which they go to, and all that kind of shit. We can also get that really cheap wine, which most people will drink. You know, most people will drink that low end cheap wine rather than getting the the wine for a hundred dollars a bottle. They'll go for the ten dollar a bottle of wine, and they'll drink that over the weekend. And that's probably going to be the same case when it comes to cannabis consumption in the future. There'll be the cheap one, which is you know cheap and easily readily available. But then you'll have that small culture of people, probably as old school cannabis users, who really appreciate the finer stuff. And uh, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's probably the way it's going to go. Yeah, I see that totally, and I, I really only see it having a, a, a future with us if we continue to cultivate it. You know, like I, I, we as a community have to cultivate that uh, appreciation and that love for it or, um, you know, it, it will fade away. Um, but like you said, um, there is there's certainly a uh, example for it in, in the wine or beer culture. Um, you know, plenty of craft breweries uh, uh, popping up every single day. Uh, plenty of, of wines to choose from um, of every varying price. And there are crowds that, that will spend $60,000 on a, a bottle of wine. Um, and, you know, I imagine that there will be crowds that will, will spend absurd tickets for, for cannabis products as well. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that there's, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of factors that have to come into play before I really see that being a thing. Um, and the main one really is just the education. You know, like we've been in prohibition for however many years, a lot of years now. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the reality is that a lot of people have been told their whole lives that cannabis is the devil and uh, you, you really shouldn't touch it and that it's terrible and it's going to make you a drug addict and all of this other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, meanwhile, you know, they have 40 prescription pills in the in the bathroom sink yeah so uh there's there's plenty of misinformation and uh you know demonization of this plant that is still happening mm -hmm. um and you know i have to remind people all the time there are still places in this country certainly uh you know <laughs> around the gulf of mexico oh, yeah. where <laughs> you will go to jail for this plant you yeah. know <laughs> definitely so that's why uh, there's a zapator up there and not my picture right now yeah you know you have to do it unfortunately mm. i don't really feel like I'm, I'm farming anyone at all but i can't do it i mean you know it's the way it is yeah no i mean like it it 
if you watched my Instagram profile, we we never showed a picture of me until uh, we moved into the legal space, into the mm -hmm. totally legal space. We were always operating legally, but it was you know more gray in Colorado than than in Oklahoma when we moved down here and you know opened up a fully legal licensed space. Um, then suddenly I felt like you know I I could um, you know kind of come out of the closet a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but it's still it's still scary, you know. Like who knows who knows what they're gonna do next. Like they mm -hmm. they've got much control and demonization over this plan. You know they they've got enough people convinced that it, it's gonna ruin the world. Um, when reality is, it's probably the only farmable product that could save our culture. Yeah, for sure. So. It's scary shit, man. It, it's because what's the statute of limitations as well? You know, when you show your face yeah. out there, they could just be like. Well, but five years ago it was illegal, and you was doing it then. So yeah, no, in the states you can't do that. That's called ex post facto. You can't be committed. You can't be convicted of a crime you committed back when in, in the day. As a you know, one of those stupid things. There's no evidence right. of it. Oh, okay, okay. Well, <laughs> they they'll do what they want to do. Yeah, they'll do what they want. Point taken. Point taken. I'll give you that one. You're right. <laughs> It, it, might, it might supposed to be this way, but it might not necessarily be this way. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that, that's we're supposed to be the land of the free. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I would. I would not say that's the reality. Yeah. So let's uh, head back to that hop latent viral and just cover a few things here. Um, like for the home growers, how can we prevent that shit getting into our grow rooms? Don't take clones. And just if you get oplatin viroid, just move on. You know, like you can clean it. Absolutely. They're, they're um, with like, especially good organic practices. Um, you know, my, my experience is that like in our organic grows, we never, ever see it. Um, okay. We never see it take off. Uh, the plants are too healthy. Like we're, we're feeding them too many antivirals. They're, um, they're getting everything that they need all the time from, you know, our strong soils. So it seems uh, to be specifically salt-based grows that are affected by it then? Only because oftentimes in salt-based grows, there's something missing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like the the difference between an organic grow and a salt-based grow uh, is that, you know, in an organic system, um, if you've, you know, prepared your soil well or you've bought a good soil, um, and really that's not super hard to do, Um the uh everything that the plant needs to like really thrive is there so it takes it when it wants it um you know in a salt-based system you're really driving the plant to go where you want it to go mm -hmm. um and do sort of what you want it to do um and in order to chelate some of these nutrients and make these nutrients more available through uh, a water delivery system um you know, frequently some of the nutrients that are, are needed are not there. Um, certainly like a lot of the like antivirals and things that are not, you know, commonly listed as the, the necessary macro and micronutrients are not there. Mm. Um, that being said, you can grow absolutely phenomenal weed using any type of nutrient, using any type of system. Like mm. I'm, I'm not saying that organics is better than salts. That's not what I'm saying at all in this scenario. What I am saying, though, is that it's been my experience that salt-based grows 
tend to be lacking um, somewhere in the, the grow process um, more than the, the organics do. They have less of a buffer. And so HPLVD tends to be more effective to salt-based grows than um, it does on, in organics. Um, and that's not to say that like you can't get HPLVD in organics, but uh, you know, if you're running a, a real strong salt-based grow too, like you, you'll have the same thing. Like if you have plenty of micronutrients and, you know, you're, you're stimulating the RS response and you're, uh, you know, doing all of the different things that, that bump up the, uh, the immune system of the plant, then, um, you know, you're doing the same things that I would say make for a good organic grow. And so it's not about salts versus organics. But I do think it's easier to do in organics um, and it's easier to miss some of the steps in salts because you have to add every part of it. So like if you're not thinking about adding something that uh, is um, going to stimulate the the plant's immune response system, um, then you're not going to add it on accident where like in an organic system, you could be adding crab meal for you know, nitrogen and phosphorus and get that chitin uptake as a result and mm-hmm. uh, you know, just get it without even knowing what you're, what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so like to go back to the original question, which was, you know, how do you keep it out of your room as a home grower? The answer is simple, you know, like just uh, keep doing your thing. And if you notice that your plant is, is not performing the way that it used to, or you're seeing brittle stems or smaller leaves or, or whatever, it's time to start something new, you know, get some new seeds, uh, start a different clone, whatever it may be. Um, In a home grow, you're not forced to keep those plants. Um, And if you do want to keep them, well, then uh, you need to figure out how to uh, uh, really stimulate the, the plant's immune uh, response system so that um, you can, uh, you know, have it fight it off. Um, a really good way to do it is to uh, feed it a combination tea of uh, neem seed meal and aloe. Um, I always prefer fresh aloe, but uh, flaked aloe will work really well. Um, neem seed meal is an incredible antiviral and uh, aloe works as like a delivery system or a catalyst mm-hmm. uh, through the salicylic acid. Um, so that can be a really, really good way to strengthen the, the immune system in your plants. Um, you can feed them uh, insect frost, um, which is essentially uh, broken up insect parts um, and insect uh, feces, um, which when fed to the plant makes the plant think that it's being attacked by bugs. So it bumps up its uh, you know uh, immune system um, and strengthens its ability to fight off that attack. Mm-hmm. Um, different UV lights can do it too. I mean, there, there's a lot of ways to, to stimulate the, uh, the immune response in plants and make them hardier against HPLVD. Um, but really the simple answer is just, you know, start new seeds. Right. And can this be passed from person to person? Say if you, if there was a grower who had the HLV in their grow room and they come to visit your grow room, can it be passed on? Is in the same uh, kind of thing with just like a break in the skin, it probably can, right? Probably not. So okay. um, you could, if you brought a new plant in, like, so if, if you visited somebody's grow and you brought them a new plant and that plant had HPLVD, um, mm-hmm. then now it's in their grow room and it's potential to be spread. Um, 
but it's not likely that you're going to like brush up against the plant and then, uh, you know, go and brush up against one of their plants um, and then, you know, give it to them. It's like, mm -hmm. you're, you're not going to catch HIV from giving uh, somebody a handshake, you know, it's mm -hmm. the same idea here. Like you have to, you have to be really getting in it. Okay. Right. It so it's at sense. least encouraging. I mean, when it first came out, we were thinking, like I said, that we were thinking this was going to be the kiss of death. If you get it in your grill, you're done. But it sounds like it sounds, I think it's, sounds definitely yeah. manageable the way you're describing it here. Uh, everything's manageable. Yeah. That, that's the thing about becoming a uh, you know a professional grower is that you, you got to learn that there is a cure for everything. Um, like every pest can be can be defeated, every disease can be defeated. Um, this plant is really strong, um, and it's really really resilient. You know, you got to think that for thousands of years. Um, we've been cultivating this plant as a species, um, and we've had very, very little technology to, you know, uh, fight pests and diseases or any of these things. And so the plant just was either bred for that um, or selected for it, or, mm -hmm. you know, it just developed it on its own. Um, and really the increase in, you know, modern science and modern uh farming practices have only made pest conditions worse you know like the the thing about you know running ancient systems uh you know running uh, you know old organic systems or uh knf or you know some combination of, of something that that focuses on regenerative farming um you're giving the plant such an extreme buffer because there's you know, all sorts of microorganisms and fungi that are working to protect that plant because their survival is also, you know, intertwined. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there, there's all these other forces that are there when in a uh, salt-based sterile system, you're purposefully trying to remove all those extra forces um, in order to just have you and the plant. And so if you make any mistakes, then the plant doesn't have any buffer, you know, so it, it really comes down to, um, your skill level, if you're going to be like a, a really large, um, you know, salt-based grower, your skill level as a grower is tremendously important. Whereas, you know, if you're going to be an organic farmer, your skill level is still important, but it's more about your creativity and your ability to work with what you're seeing um, as opposed to working with, you know, the science of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. There you go. Just hope people can manage to avoid it. So, and it sounds as if, it, like you say, uh, it is it, we can handle this shit. Eventually, we should see a reduction in the spread once everybody is properly informed about it, properly educated about the, what it is and how it spreads. Then we should start seeing a reduction of the spread of the virus, right? Yeah, but everybody has to talk about it. You know, I mean, like, yeah. when, when the more that we do things like this, the more the chances of the, you know, uh, virus stopping spreading is is going to happen or viroid um and you know as a home grower i honestly really wouldn't worry about it um like there's unless you are you know unless you're constantly taking clones from some other home grower with bad practices uh it's it's just super unlikely that you will see it um, you know, if you're buying clones from a dispensary or a commercial grow, then like, that's a different story entirely. Um, but my, my advice to home growers a hundred percent of the time is start from seed, um, and take your own clones 
And, you know, under that scenario, you will, you're almost guaranteed to never see HPLBD. Um, and, you know, if you start seeds each new time, you're pretty much guaranteed to never see it. Mm -hmm. So cool. And I see in the background there on the screen, it says that you do a uh, bulk cannabis seeds, but would a home grower be able to visit your shop and be able to get seeds from you guys? Oh yeah. I mean, most of the time um, we distribute a lot through uh, other seed banks and things like that. Right. Um, we, uh, and you know, my, the one that I always recommend people uh, look at is uh, Dagalove at the, the future cannabis product. Um, the Peter, the guy that runs it um, is mm -hmm. a super good dude. Um, but, uh, yeah, there we're also in altitude and, uh, or attitude seed bank. Um, and, uh, uh, let's see, uh, we're in a couple, couple shops around and, um, whatnot. Uh, but the easiest way is through the seed banks. Um, and, uh, we do do bulk stuff, um, but that's normally, uh, more of a direct sale, um, and that's for for people who are doing farms of uh, of large cannabis. Uh, we have uh, large lots of feminized seeds that we made. So um, for some of these bigger farms in Oklahoma, California, places like that, um, or you know some of the the newer countries that are are coming up, um, we have you know large bulk uh, lots of of fem seed for them, and that's. Uh, uh, it's a, it's sort of a different thing, you know, it's a, it's a different price point. Um, but you know, you buy a lot more in order to grow a, a giant crop of it, mm -hmm. um, for the home grower, you know, six seeds is, is really what you want. Cause you want to be able to plant your seeds and then move on to the next thing, you know, like you don't necessarily want a, a thousand of the same seed. Right. Mm -hmm. Nice man. So what kind of strains do you have? Just classic old school, old school stuff. Do you do your own breeding mm -hmm. and come up with your own strains? Pretty much everything at this point is uh, something that includes uh, either male or female is something that I made. Um, there, there's almost no projects where we we work with, uh, um, you know, the work of other people. Other than sometimes we'll find a, a really good a really good thing in somebody's pack of seeds that we will, we will breed forward to, you know, one of our projects. Um, I do a lot of male female breeding with, uh, these, these two strains that I'm working on, uh, um, really stabilizing the Wody and the Dr. Hoffman. Um, the Dr. Hoffman is like a sour diesel back cross, um, that we chose for, for grapefruit in. Um, so it's, uh, like a grapefruit sour diesel. Um, and, we really like breeding with it because it uh, really uh, increases the uh, the structure of a plant. Uh, so, like anything that we hit to it to um, tends to take on more of an Afghani type uh, Christmas tree like structure, um, and it it adds a lot of frost to anything that that we breed it to. So, lots and lots of trichomes and uh, and great structure come with the the Dr. Hoffman crosses, and then the Wody is the most unique terpene and uh, high combination that I've ever experienced um, in cannabis. Um, it's wildly different than anything that I've ever seen. Um, and so when we, we bred that one, um, the first generation of it, I think came out in 2014, 15, somewhere in there. Um, and uh, then I worked the last eight years on uh, um, breeding it 
back and selecting for for the one that we want and you know stabilizing and and working on seeing what would crossbreed out and we're working on a a, a super stable line um called an inbred line um for it um but i've got another probably five years that i'm, I'm going to work on that um and then fem projects have really been the 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 big focus the last few years because uh as the industry has developed, fem seeds have become way more popular, um, and the the industry has also gotten a lot better in making them. Um, so we have lots less uh, intersex problems, lots or a lot less problems with uh, you know the plant uh, seeming to drift or get weaker over time, um, and the, you know the fem seeds are just a lot stronger and a lot better than they used to be. Um, and so we've done a lot of projects recently uh, using this Supreme uh, as a reversed pollen donor and the Texas tea is reversed pollen donor. Um, Texas tea was a uh, banana kush times Wody um, and it tasted like um, uh, banana runts. It produces just like a super awesome plant that finishes fast and is, is really great for outdoor production. Um, and then the the Supreme is probably the most popular thing that uh, I've ever produced. Um, it was also one of the only things where um, we were we were we inadvertently chose a male out of somebody else's pack. Um, it, we didn't inadvertently choose it; we chose it on purpose. But um, I wasn't looking for a male, and just one emerged that was super impressive. Um, and so we we did a test cross with it, and the Supreme came out of that. And that was uh, Uncle Larry's Bananas, which was Larry OG times Banana Kush, and then times GMO Max. So when we crossed all those together, it made this just crazy, like, gassy banana thing that has uh, really, really been popular. And then everything that I crossed that into uh, um, just produced huge yields and lots of frost and washed really well. And so um, it made for some, some real good film crosses. Damn. Nice. So you put in some work to come up with your strains as well. I've been working hard on this for a really, really long time. You know, like nothing gets bred without a goal. Um, mm. Everything that we're doing has a, an intention behind it. Even if the goal is only one generation, um, we don't put anything together that we're not trying to get something out of. So, um, you know, we test everything before we put it out onto the market. It has to hit all of the qualifications of being willing to go into my commercial grow before I would release it to anybody else. Um, you know, we're, we're really serious about uh, trying to produce better weed for, for this community. Um, because like what we talked about earlier, if we don't, have better weed and we don't show people what better weed is and why it's better, then we're going to get to a point where nobody understands that it's a thing. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, man, that's fucking cool. So uh, you recommend that people check out uh, Attitude Seed Bank was one of them that you mentioned. Uh, that's one of the ones that we do. I don't know how many things they, they have in stock anymore. Mm -hmm. um, Fire Tree Seed Bank has a whole bunch of stuff. Um, Daga Love at Future Cannabis Project has a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and those are really the only ones that, that we we still really work with. Uh, we do a lot of in-person stuff at uh, different trade shows and, and whatnot. Cool. Um, and, you know, occasionally, like once every, you know, 
maybe six to 10 months, I'll do a fundraiser for something. Like I'm doing a fundraiser right now for uh, an art project I'm doing out at Burning Man. Um, and so, you know, like uh, during those we'll, we'll offer, offer seeds direct. And then the rest of the time they're, they're only available in the seed banks. Nice. Man, very cool. We've kept you here for nearly an hour and a half now, and it's been, it's been a good conversation, man. We've learned a lot about the HPV, which was, that's not the right way. HLV. I call it, I call it the HPV because we have the, the <laughs> HPV virus as well, that people get the vaccination for, the HPV virus. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You know, genital warts. You know? disease. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, it's pretty much the same thing, but by plants. Grow your plants properly and keep them clean and shit. And don't take well, cuttings. You know. Don't take cuttings from unclean places. And you should be okay. You shouldn't see this in your grow room, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, for the home grower, this isn't really, this isn't something that I would really concern myself with. Yeah, you know, it's it's good to uh, it's good to know about it. It's really good to to have knowledge of anything that could potentially be a a, a factor in your grow room. Mm-hmm. But you know, the chances of you seeing it and it affecting you more than one crop are are pretty low. Right. So one more question before you let you, we let you go. Does Calmag kill it? Oh, jeez. <laughs> more Calmag. More Calmag. Exactly. That, is, that is every consultant's first news. Like, oh, you need geez. more Calmag. That's, that's <laughs> the reality. Um, no, Calmag does not kill it. The only thing that we know, and I mean, I, I'm going to say no in, in quotation marks here, um, kills it is... Uh, uh, bleach you know right. uh, we know that isopropyl alcohol does not kill it it will wow damn uh, yeah no uh, isopropyl alcohol does nothing so um you know it it's great for you know sanitizing most things you know like mm-hmm. but as far as as hplvd goes uh like you, you can dip that and swim it around in, in alcohol all day and it's not going to kill it Fuck. um you need to uh, you can't even just dip your scissors or anything in, in bleach. You need to both dip them into bleach and then wipe the scissor clean. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know it's it's a persistent little motherfucker. Um, but uh, it it's also again you know if you don't have thousands of plants um, and you know you don't have this massive room and all these mothers and all these other things which like most home growers don't. Um, then you know your chances of of running into this are are wildly low. The other thing that I will say to home growers is do not get caught by the hype machine. Um, there's all these strains out there that you're going to see on Instagram that you're going to think are better than uh, you know whatever you would buy in a pack of seeds or or whatever. Let me tell you from experience that they are not. Um, in fact, most of the things that I have gotten that, that carried any kind of hype in the last 10 years were absolute garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally you will get something that is, is popular for a reason. You know, like I've always thought that, you know, Gorilla Glue was popular for a reason. It deserved to be popular because it's an excellent commercial producer. It's got an excellent high. OG Kush is the same way. Um, but there's plenty of stuff out there that, um, you know, and I'm not going to talk shit about any other breeders work, but what I am going to say is that like, you know, I get a lot of these clones that are like the hype shit that my breeder friends send me or, or whatever. And I run them out and I'm like, this is garbage. Why do you like this? Have you never grown weed before? 
Uh, <laughs> and, uh, that's so common. You know, like, meanwhile, I have these plants that nobody's ever heard of that are 20 years old that I've been keeping in my stable for all these years because they throw down, you know, 10 times the amount of weed as a cookies plant. Um, and uh, they're like, oh, that can't be as good because, you know, I don't see it on Instagram. And it's like, well, yeah. mm-hmm. you're, you're in for a big surprise if you think that that's where the the, the real high quality weed is. Yes, yeah. Instagram. Yeah, man, that's it. People can fall into the hype too easily. Definitely, it's just yep. uh, the growing methods that make a, a, a huge difference on how the plant turns out. You want to start off with good genetics, of course. Don't don't try yep. bag seed and shit. Make sure you go for the good stuff, but then just grow it properly, and you'll end up with good weed. Yeah, you know, one mm-hmm. thing that uh, I want to mention before before we get off is that we do this contest. We sponsor it. It's called the Grow Off. Um, and, uh, each year we, uh, and it's, it's important to talk about it because one of the requirements for sponsoring the grow off is that the, the, uh, uh, clone has to be tested for HLPD. Um, so that's a really cool thing that the, the contest is doing. Um, and, uh, you know, they're getting a lot of people who never tested for HLPD and are finding out, Oh, I was about to give a hundred people a clone that was infected. Bah. Um, but, uh, What's so cool about it is everybody gets the same clone from the same mother. They don't know what it is. So they take it home and they grow it out however they think is best, you know, like indoors, outdoors in a greenhouse using Athena or organics or whatever. Um, And then at the end, they take it back and they uh, they send it all to testing and highest cannabinoids wins one belt and highest terpenes wins the other. But what's really neat is they'll take a picture of all of the buds that come back from submission. And when you look at it, um, they're, they're wildly different. Um, uh, I'm going to leave camera for just a second. So I can show you this. Mm-hmm. It goes to show you that it is not just the genetics. It's the, uh, the grower that reflects into the grow. Mm-hmm. Nature, nurture. Exactly. So, you can see that nice. these are all the exact same cut hmm. from the same mother grown out 30 different ways. And they don't look wow. like the same plant at all. There's mm-hmm. some similarities, but I see what you're saying. This is all what your grow room does, like hmm. how you grow. Uh, the food you give it, the, the environment you give it, the light you give it, whether or not you supplement with CO2, all of those things make a difference in how your, your final product comes out. Um, and, you know, how many problems you have. If you have a, a strong grow where, you know, things are, are clean and taken care of, then, you know, a lot of the common problems that the that, that plague grows don't show up. You know, like I haven't, seen spider mites in years and years and years um, mm-hmm. because we do preventative sprays for them. You know, like mm-hmm. there, there's lots of ways to become a better gardener and, and make sure that you don't end up with the same problems that, uh, you know, everybody else can end up with. Um, but, you know, back to, you know, being a home grower for the home grower, you know, just, just really love your plants. You've only got a few of them to take care of. Um, you know, if they, they seem like they're unhealthy, then they, they probably have a problem. If they're green and healthy, then leave them alone. They're, they're going to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, let them yeah. do their thing, man. That's the best thing you can do for your plants is let them do that. They know what they're doing. They've been doing it for a long time. 
So mm-hmm. just yep. give them what they need and let them do their thing and they will be good shit. Yep. I don't um, like to think of myself as a grower, more of like a manager. You know, like I make sure that like they're, they're in the right place at the right time, but they're doing all Custodian. Growing. The cannabis yeah. custodian. That's a nice yeah, one, I, isn't it? Look at that. Yeah. I've yeah. had a... <laughs> You know, like there are some growers that are there are more custodic than others. Um, but, <laughs> um, you know, you, you do certainly feel that way, especially as a, a commercial cultivator. You know, like you you end up mopping a lot more than you would think that that was. Kind of <laughs> <description>. <laughs> Damn, man. But it's been a pleasure talking to you, Robbie, man. We learned a lot here and it's a lot of good information. And I'm sure our listeners can stress a lot less about their hlv virus now but still the hpv one is a dangerous one be careful with that one (laughs) yes (laughs) but hlv don't worry about that one you know (laughs) yeah man so where can uh is there somewhere (laughs) is there somewhere where our listeners can go and find more information about you robbie and you know your genetics and things like that yeah so our instagram profile is uh, nerds underscore genetics um, and that's really the best place to uh, find most of the things that we're working on. Um, if you send me a DM, it's always me on the other side. Um, email address is nerdsgenetics at gmail.com um, or nerdsgenetics.com is the website. Nice, mm-hmm. man. Nice. So Excellent. if anybody has any questions, go give Robbie a shout. Uh, I have I have a lot to talk about in the industry. So anytime you guys want to nice. do it, just like, uh, we'll get it. <laughs> sweet yeah man oh, nice one then Robbie we'll, we'll let you go we'll just yeah, right. we'll wave but you can't Pleasure see us waving bro <laughs> appreciate you giving us the truth on the HLV there I'm going to make me a little bit uh, a little bit less worried about it nice yeah And there we go, everybody. That's this week's interview. So as you can tell, if you are a home grower, which most of the people listening to this show are, you don't really have to be worried about the hop latent thyroid. Just make sure that you stay clean, you know, stay cautious of it. Don't just pretend like it doesn't exist because it is out there, but it's not likely to get into your grow room if you are cautious and take good care of your plants. So I hope that puts your mind at ease. It definitely puts mine at ease. I'm not so concerned about it anymore, but if you have a big grow operation, then I'm of course be very cautious uh, i hope you enjoyed this interview thanks to robbie for coming to join us make sure you go and check out nerd genetics as well because as you can tell from the interview there he puts in a lot of work to make good strains so check them out if you're looking for some new beans to buy well as usual thank you for being here thank you for downloading the show thank you for listening thank you for sharing if you do that we just appreciate you guys being here and enjoying the episodes with us so thank you as always for being here and downloading the show Uh, Have a good week. We'll catch you on Friday for the Grow Guides. You know, stay high, stay safe and all of that. And we'll catch you on the next one. Goodbye. Goodbye.